Hello and welcome to Kerrang! Back Issues. This week we will be looking at issue number 518, October 29th, 1994, £1.40. I'm quite excited here at uh, Kerrang! Back Issues headquarters, if that's what you want to call my flat. Um, I'm going to a gig tonight, I'm going to see five metalcore band play down the road from my house. Now, I've been to a couple of gigs this year already, uh, but they were sit-down gigs, um, What's the word? Um, when you, Socially distanced. I totally forgot the word. I'm trying to forget it. Uh, I think we all are. Um, they were socially distanced gigs. And I tell you what, I really, really enjoyed them. I think I spoke about that on this podcast before. I really enjoyed being sat at a chair, someone bringing me drinks. Sort of felt like a royalty. <laughs> it, was, it was really nice. And there were no sweaty men taking their shirts off, getting near to me. Well... Going to a metalcore show tonight, so there are going to be probably a lot of sweaty men taking their shirts off. I imagine there'll be some hair flying around, maybe some mosh cables will get in my mouth, you know, the usual stuff that happens uh, <laughs> a metalcore gig. Um, I'm really looking forward to it. The bands that are playing, um, yeah, very much in the like, like heavy style, um, late, they, a couple of the bands sound like late 90s European uh, like 8,000 metalcore bands. Anyone that knows that style knows what I'm talking about. That's the kind of stuff that really, really got me into hardcore uh, from metal. Sort of the crossover point for me. I love that kind of stuff. If there are Jackson guitars being pointed towards the sky, baggy jeans and windbreakers, then I am fully sold. That's absolutely my bag. I love it. So, yeah, looking forward to that tonight. In other news, there is some exciting news coming soon. Oh, God, I've just done it, haven't I? I really don't like it when people announce that there's going to be news coming soon without announcing news. This is just to say that there is something fun coming, but I can't really talk about it yet. But it's going to be a little bit of an expansion from what I've done so far this year uh, on Kerrang! Back Issues. Um, a little bit of a collaboration with another podcast. But I don't really want to talk about it yet, uh, just because... It hasn't come to fruition and nothing's really happened yet. But, you know, watch this space as, you know, stuff will be happening within the next month or so. And it should be quite exciting. It's exciting for me to actually do something outside of just this podcast. Um, it's it's, it's going to be really fun anyway. So there's my announcement about an announcement that's coming. <laughs> God, I can't believe I've done that. What drives me nuts is when bands tweet or they go on Instagram and they say, announcement coming soon. So they're announcing an announcement before it even happens. Just tell us when it happens. Maybe I should have done that. Maybe I should take a leaf out of my own book and stop being such a hypocrite. Anyway, onwards. If you would like to get in touch with us here at Hypocrites Anonymous, I mean uh, Kerrang Back Issues, then we can be contacted at Kerrang Back Issues on Instagram. Kerrang Pod on Twitter and Issues at gmail.com. Cover stars for this week are Nirvana. Nirvana, Life After Death. New LP reviewed. New video exposed. The Cobain Legacy Lives On. Plus, win a machine head guitar. Black Crows Get Their Pubes Out. See page 11. Terrorvision, Bratz Blitz Britain. Queensryche, first show in two years reviewed. Guns N' Roses, Full Scam on Slash Solo LP, Pearl Jam, Future Plans Revealed, and Skin, On The Road Again. Plus, Nirvana, new album artwork poster inside. 
The cover quiz for this week, Nirvana, loosely translated, means heaven. So with Kurt and the boys on this week's cover, here's five heavenly teasers for you. Question one, which rock legend climbed the stairway to heaven? Two, who said heaven can wait on his meaty debut LP? Three, and which Brit metal god said the same thing on their 1986 LP? Four, which band reckoned heaven's on fire on their 84 album? And five, who visited both heaven and hell with their 1980 LP? Answers to these at the end of this episode of the podcast. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Starting with Mayhem, the hottest news in metal first. I did actually forget to say at the start of this episode of the podcast that um, Nirvana are the cover stars this week, but there's not really a main story about them. The Unplugged in New York album is reviewed, and there's a big feature here at the start of Kerrang, which goes in depth about the Live Tonight sold out uh, home video. And there's a, another piece at the end about Pearl Jam and Nirvana, uh, like, working together, doing something, but I, I don't think that stuff ever actually, if it did happen, it only happened in the studio and it was never released, so um, I don't know if I'm gonna be reading that out because there's not really too much going on with it. Uh, I don't think much actually came from it. Anyway, we, we will see when we get there. Um, I'll probably read it again and see whether it's worth reading out. Anyway, let's begin. Live tonight sold out the real Nirvana, the truth behind a rock and roll legend. Seattle Gods exposed as sensational new video tells the full shocking story. Nirvana, as reported in last week's Mayhem, are to release a collection of home video footage on November 14th. Entitled Live Tonight Sold Out, it's the band's first and possibly last ever video release, and it provides an incredible insight into the Nirvana phenomenon. Started in 1991 as Kurt's Baby, the 16-track video chronicles the rise and rise of the million-selling Seattle three-piece. It's poignant, moving, and most importantly, it shows the real Kurt Cobain. It's very kooky, very geeky, and very good fun, says Anton Brooks, Nirvana's UK publicist and friend of the late Cobain. It's just totally them. I'm sure the average person in the street will love it. No one really uh, knew them. I think this is a good indication of the real Nirvana. A good laugh, good fun, and really nice people. And with the rest of the crew, it was one big family. The live footage for the video is largely culled from eight concert performances spanning two years. It was recorded at Amsterdam, Dallas, and Tokyo in 91, Seattle, Honolulu, Reading, and Denmark in 92, and from 1993, Sao Paulo in Brazil. The next page, they just go into detail and talk about the video, but anyone that's seen the video doesn't really need to have uh, this reread again. So if you want to know what it says, go see the video, basically. Um, there is a side little bar here um, that says extreme slang. Boston boys belted as Nirvana say no no to Nuno. One classic interview from the video sees Nirvana outdoors in front of a lake. Kurt is wearing thick rimmed glasses and has pulled his jacket up over his head. Asked about the industry battle to find the next Nirvana, Kurt says, The same thing happened in the punk movement in the late 70s when major labels were signing punk bands shortly after those bands first gigs. That proves that there are a lot of old school dinosaurs in the record industry who still need to be weeded out. Chris, The whole business side ties my head in knots. Dave, It's better to keep your mind off the business aspect of the deal and just focus on eating and shitting. Kurt, but you have to be aware of it or people will start taking advantage of you. Chris, look at Extreme. They are in a different reality to ours. Kurt, 
They surround themselves with these professional dickhead commercial rock and roll guys who, when they show up at an airport, the manager runs in ahead and tells people who are greeting them. No video. We want to pass straight to the van. It's like, so what? Chris, I'm not even sure they're even aware that things can operate on a different level. Dave, I don't think they're aware of how much they suck. Stop Press and the Black Crows will be making a personal appearance at London Marble Arch Virgin Megastore on October 31st. The band will be signing copies of their new album Amorica which is released the same day. Thunder have also lined up a PA. They'll be at the Merry Hill Exposure Rock Cafe in the Midlands from 6 to 8pm on November 5th. The same night from 9pm they'll be at the venue Sister Club of the same name in Birmingham. Cinderella are auditioning new drummers via computer network. Potential new skinsmen can play along to a new Cinders track and return the finished product via phone lines. Full story next week. One fucking killer package, Machine Head mouth off about Slayer Tour. Machine Head blasts into Britain next week for their first ever UK shows. Tying in with the band's killer support slot to the Mighty Slayer will be a special limited edition digipack of the Oakland Metalers Burn My Eyes debut on October 31st. A European only release, the new edition features an extra track, a cover of Poison Ideas, Alan's On Fire. We also recorded a cover of the Chromax Hard Times in New York frontman Rob Flynn tells Mayhem this week, but that'll probably go on a future B-side. One of the guys from Frontline Assembly wants to remix Death Church and we've been discussing it, although I don't want him to do a house mix. If it was a deep dub super industrial crazy mix, it might be cool. No single release is currently scheduled, but Flynn reckons that Old is the most likely selection from Burn My Eyes, mostly because it's short. Most of the songs on the album are longer than single length and in a lot of them have got cussing and shit. We can't have that, can we? As for Slayer, we're fucking stoked Flynn infuses. Slayer are the gods of metal and we will rise to the occasion. When we first started hearing rumours we'd got this Slayer to, I was like, this is never going to happen. We were under consideration. But how many other bands were fighting for this fucking tour? Then Paul, Bostaff, Slayer drummer, X Forbidden and Machine Head's Bay Area buddy started relaying messages to us, saying we were going to get it. The celebrations began. Oh my god. Does Flynn like the new Slayer slab? Yeah, it's killer. It's fucking back to the old days but they're still injecting new stuff into it. If you didn't know Dave Lombardo had left Slayer, you couldn't tell from listening to their new album. Paul's sick on this record. The Black Crows are at the centre of controversy over the sleeve artwork for their third album, Amorica, which is released for American Recordings BMG on October 31st. The cover of the LP shows a close-up photo of woman in a bikini with her pubic hairs exposed. Already, it has been banned from advertisement hoardings on the London Underground Network. Plans to stick at the offending tuft are now underway. Commenting on this rather risque sleeve, vocalist Chris Robinson says, With all due sensitivity, we couldn't get a picture of American singer-songwriter Liz Fair's muff, so we got this one instead. I think it's pretty cool, but some people are not going to like it, especially in America. It's like, you can buy a gun there, but when you show pubic hair on a sleeve, people get shocked. Guns N' Roses guitarist Slash has officially confirmed the full details for his forthcoming solo album. As originally announced by Kerrang, the LP is co-produced by the guitarist and GNR producer Mike Klink and will now be called It's 5 O'Clock Somewhere after originally going under the name SVO Snake Pit. Joining Slash on the album are Guns N' Roses drummer Matt Sorum, Alice in Chains bassist Mike and Ed, rhythm guitarist Gilby Clark, until recently a member of Guns, and lead vocalist Eric Dover, previously guitarist with the now-defunct Jellyfish. Expect the LP to be issued by Geffen during mid-February. Slash plans to hit the road playing club-sized venues in support of its 5 o'clock somewhere 
and the intention is to use the same lineup of musicians as is featured on the record. The band will go under the name Snake Pit. Records news now and day aside, the Black Metal Mad Men have now completed work on their next album. Produced by Scott Burns at Morris Sound Studios in Florida, it's to be titled Once Upon the Cross and will be issued during February by Roadrunner. The Toddenhosen, the German punk band who are currently supporting Terrorvision on their UK tour, have an album titled Love, Peace and Money issued through Virgin on December the 5th. Meatloaf, the larger than life warbler, has just had a live album titled Alive in Hell issued by Pure Music Telstar. This features archive material that goes back to the mid 80s. Woodstock 94, the compilation of performances from Woodstock 2, is issued by A&M on November 21st. Tour news and Beastie Boys, the band are playing the Glasgow Barrowlands November 20th, Wolverhampton Civic Hall 21st, Manchester Academy 23rd, London Brixton Academy 24th. The Colt have now added a further show to the list published exclusively in issue 515. This is at Middlesbrough Town Hall on December the 12th. Tickets are available at uh, 10 quid each. In addition, the Glasgow show on the following night has now been switched to the Barrowlands. The London Music Show, this annual exhibition, takes place on November 26th and 27th at the Wembley Conference Centre. Tickets are £6, with children under 12 and UB40 holders, musicians, union card holders getting a further £2 concession. Obituary will be making a personal appearance at Metalhead Records in London's Camden High Street on November 26th from 1pm. The first 10 people through Metalhead's door will each receive a t-shirt. The Stanford Prison Experiment will be supporting the Jesus Lizard on their forthcoming UK tour. The dates for which were published last week. The band are also going to be headlining a date in London on November 14th at a venue to be confirmed. The Prison Boys will have their self-titled debut album reissued by World Domination on November 7th and a new single, Super Monkey, will also be released on the same day. And finally, Therapy, the Irish stars have added an extra date at London Shepherd's Bush Empire on November 26th to their tour schedule. Mayhem America, the hottest US news as it happens, starting this week with Don Kay in New York. Of course, you all know by now about the romance between Poison frontman Brett Michaels and Baywatch bombshell Pamela Anderson. The voluptuous Miss Anderson appeared last week on the Howard Stern show where she confessed that she carries around a photo in her purse of Brett's microphone. Pamela promptly showed the pic to Stern's female sidekick Robin Quivers who was amazed at the size of the instrument. I guess there's little uh, relationship after all between sexual endowment and musical ability. Whisperings heard in the streets this week say that the Epic record label has done some house cleaning, dropping veteran Alice Cooper and the less venerable Arcade, who are fronted by ex-rapman Stephen Percy. Reports that infectious grooves are out of the door were confirmed in the UK this week. Mike Muir's other projects, Suicidal Tendencies, are rumoured to be following soon. The rather negligible sales of both bands' latest albums seem to support all the speculation. Contacted for a comment by Kerrang this week, Alice Cooper's management, Alive Enterprises, responded, Alice is still under long-term contract with Sony. This is unchanged at this time. As you know though, anything is possible. Watch this space. Over at Atlantic Records, we hear that Overkill's time there is just about up, with the band themselves reportedly paying for the recording of their latest album, WFO. 
Sources indicate that the band may strike a deal with CMC International, home of other acts who have seen better days like Kix, Warrant, Accept and Ungri Malmsteen. The preview screening of Robert Plant and Jimmy Page's unleaded special, held at Spacious Beacon Theatre the night before its MTV broadcast, was a packed house event with numerous media, MTV and Atlantic Records personnel filling the seats. The programme itself is excellent and looked impressive on a large screen. Although the sound was too loud and tended to distort and overwhelm the finer points of the duo's performance. Still, classics like Four Sticks, Since I've Been Loving You and Kashmir were awesome, indicating that Page and Plant still have the magic. Two questions remain however, why was John Paul Jones not involved? And why didn't Page and Plant, who were backstage at the Beacon, come out and say hello to the crowd as were widely expected? Although they were doing TV interviews back there, a wave and a see you on tour would have been nice. US News Extra and pop diva Madonna has reportedly threatened metal god Ozzy Osbourne with court action if he ever releases a duet recorded with her way back in 1981. Ex-Chili Peppers guitarist John Frusciante looks set to use the voice of dead movie star River Phoenix on his debut solo LP. Van Halen are working with producer Bob Rock on their latest album. And finally Testament have a cameo role in the forthcoming movie Strange Days, a futuristic thriller directed by James Cameron. They perform Newey new eyes of old. Next we're with Lisa Johnson in Los Angeles. Glenn Danzig is a man of mystery. I mean, could you imagine actually going round his house for tea? That's basically what rock journalist Steve Hockman did when he interviewed the Dark One for the LA Times. I read Hockman's piece from the edge of my seat as he described Danzig's home of cultural chaos. The wrought iron fence front yard is a patch of dead weeds and the braces propping up earthquake damaged beams make the place a cross between the Adams family mansion and the house of Usher. The dark and musty interior, a clutter of kitsch presenting some disturbing contrasts, furthers the impression. A real stuffed wolf stands menacingly near an incongruously cute Snoopy telephone. A collection of jack-o'-lantern figures shares self-space with a vast array of Looney Tunes items. Wow. Ever wondered what big celebrity rock stars do with their spare time? Well, if you're B-Real from heavy rapping mob Cypress Hill, you might stop at a gas station and pick up some essentials. On the particular day that I happened upon B-Real at my local, while getting a fill up, he was buying a copy of Rolling Stone magazine, snack foods, and some rolling papers for those homemade cigarettes. Cypress Hill, a headline in the benefit for the United Farm Workers this week, opening a Radiance Machine. Also in the studio are White Zombie, who are recording with Terry Date, who's produced Soundgarden. A quick visit to the studio rendered an earful of some of the new stuff, which sounded amazing. What do the band use for inspiration while they work? The Cartoon Network, a 24-hour cable TV station that plays just cartoons a la Scooby-Doo. Beaver, <laughs> you've never been to a concert in your life. Shut up! Next in Kerrang! this week is Concerts. The first concert reviewed this week is Terrorvision, The Tottenhosen and Baby Chaos live at Southampton University, Wednesday, October 19th. This review is by Paul Rees and this gets a electrocution out of five, five out of five. Your mother would like Baby Chaos. They're short and sweet and ever so slightly polite, even when the guitars are punching out bite-sized globs of noise and they're singing about wanting to kill somebody. This means that any song they play which is in need of real aggression is always as threatening as a cuddly toy. Fortunately, Baby Chaos also have songs like Call Me Daddy which leaves its spiky guitar patterns behind every now and again for a clever chorus crammed with melodies you desperately want to remember. And whenever they're bouncing happily around the stage, Baby Chaos are engaging enough to be the Wild Hearts' cute kid brothers. 
Germany's latest biggest rock band are funnier than Accept and better than the Scorpions. The Tottenhosen are on a mission to convince the student population of Southampton that there is such a thing as an Aryan sense of humour. And strangely, from the very second they turned the deeply dippy Guantanamara into a beer-gobbing punk rant called Cunt in the Mirror, they can do no wrong. There's more to the Tottenhosen than crap jokes and a selection of mouldy punk riffs though. Behind the bad clothes and the cold its accent, there looks a stockpile of shout-along songs like All These Wasted Years, Love Song and the willy-waving impressive Here Comes Alice, all of which answer to the name and Femic. If the Tottenhosen are warmly received, the response that greets Terrorvision when Discotech Rex fizzes out against the backdrop of silver curtains and jolly expensive lights is little short of hysterical. The place quite literally erupts. It's maintained right up to the moment Oblivion rounds off an hour and a half absolutely rooted in deliriously unpretentious entertainment. If Terrorvision needed any convincing that they're currently riding a great big wave, the sight of a hall full of people bobbing man manically to in time to problem solve, stop the bus and still the rhythm dangles a sweat-soaked evidence right before their eyes. Two years on from the flea pits, Terrorvision have become a genuinely cracking live band. One good enough to make cheap tricks surrender and men at works down under sound like they've been wired to the national grid. And one that's evolved quickly enough to write something as sharp and self-contained as their new rollercoaster snot pop number, If I Was You. And while Tony Wright continues to dance like a mad glove puppet, Mark Yates' guitar is beginning to sound frighteningly impressive. Tonight, Terrorvision are no more and no less than brilliant. If you're still too cool to get off on pop songs bright enough to make you smile, then it really is about time you got a fucking knife. Next review is for Collective Soul, live at the Borderline London, Tuesday, October the 18th. Reviewed by Xavier Russell, this gets electrocution out of 5, 5 out of 5. The South has risen yet again, part 666. Collective Soul, the Atlanta Georgia-based quintet who have been causing quite a stir in the USA with their recent hit single Shine and a triumphant showing at this year's Woodstock 2 Festival, flew into London for a showcase gig that shocked and delighted an awful lot of folk. We were all expecting a clean-cut, note-for-note rendition of their recent outing, hints, allegations and things left unsaid, but instead we were totally blown away by the sheer power and enthusiasm of Collective Soul. Live, these boys just sizzle. And with three guitars going full pelt the whole time, how could they fail? At times, they recalled the days of vintage Georgia satellites. One only had to listen to the likes of the rockin' Reach and Goodnight, Good Guy for evidence. Musically, Collective Soul are a very competent bunch and lead vocalist, rhythm guitarist Ed Rowland certainly has an ear for a catchy riff. Their repertoire is chock full of them, from the soulful Heavens Already Here to the smash hit Shine, and his vocal range is quite extraordinary. But hey, this isn't a one-man show. Experts Dean Rowland and Ross Childress totally steal the show on which Southern delights as wasting time, great spindly riffs to the almost, dare I say it, thrashy scream. Southern Speedcore, you bet. If there was one small bone to pick, it was the lack of communication between band and punters. It was almost as if Ed and the boys were just in their front room rehearsing for a tour. Maybe it was just a case of the first night London showcase nerves, but it didn't stop the band returning for a well-deserved encore in the form of wasting time and a totally new tune which had literally been penned that morning, clearly indicating the collective soul have a hatful of exciting new material itching to be recorded. Can't wait. The next review is for Hardcore Punk Benefit Festival, live at the 1 in 12 Club Bradford on Saturday, October the 8th and Sunday, October the 9th. Reviewed by Meanie, this gets high voltage out of 5, 4 out of 5. The European hardcore scene ain't dead. 
Around 15 bands of radically divergent styles played during the course of this weekend long festival and there was a decent turnout of supportive identikit punk rock fans on every day, many of whom kipped over to add to the familial vibe. Baby Harp Seal from Leeds proved to be the least pigeonholeable of all the bands on offer, a contorted angular all over the shop cacophony of twisted guitar which ultimately couldn't be called hardcore at all and which was refreshingly odd. Bob Tilton are apparently named after a tele-evangelist which figures because their vocalist crawled about the floor raving like some possessed healer preacher whilst they delivered a set of slamming DC style poetry punk. Voorhees from Durham are considerably more old school. They sped through 20 second blipcord ditties about fascism and all that. Saturday was closed by Congress from Holland who have a very small singer and a penchant for deaf grindcore. Neckbrace did their thing on Sunday full of hate they were too. Sounding for all the world like it was Brooklyn, they came from and not just up the road. But the focus of the festival was always going to be Dead Wrong's performance, which was to be their last. Dueling guitars screeching like Drive Like Jehu, they bowed out with the most intense balls out show they could possibly have given, a tragically premature demise. Glue, a Scottish free piece, couldn't quite follow that but dished up some eccentric punking clattery to be followed by Extinction of Mankind who sounded like amoebics on speed finishing things on a suitably crusty note. The next review is for Sugar and Puppy Love Bomb, live at the Academy Manchester, Saturday, October 15th. This one is reviewed by Paul Travers and this gets static out of five, three out of five. Puppy Love Bomb, apparently handpicked for this support slot by Bob Mould himself, have a great name and sound precisely how you'd expect a band supporting Sugar to sound. It's noisy, but it's tuneful. Slabs of discordance bent carefully into songs. There's a lot of it about these days, but Puppy Love Bong are good at it. No one could deny that Sugar are, at the very least, good. Other adjectives, exciting, watchable, fun, certainly are clearly disputable. Okay, so they're a free piece and have their hands full, and no one expected Bob to be doing scissor kicks, but no one expected it to be quite this dull. So Sugar strolled casually on and glide straight into Gift. Funnily enough, the opening riff sounds uncannily like Vane's beat the bullet, this is followed by Company Book and Changes, and yes, they are all fine songs, but perform without fire or passion. Everyone seems to head for the bar at this point, and when we return, all that's changed is that they're now playing a different song. Hoover Dam suffers from the lack of the haunting keyboard runs of the LP version, and If I Can't Change Your Mind, played electrically instead of acoustically tonight, loses much of its sweetness and top pop appeal. The most aggressive beast of material and the more instant moments G Angel, I can't help you anymore from fuel, survive intact. But really, the £8.50 ticket fee would be better spent getting kegged up on some cheap booze and inviting some friends around to listen to the albums in the comfort of your own home. Next review is for Queensryche, live at the Astoria London, Thursday, October 20th. This review is by Jason Arnop and this gets high voltage out of five, four out of five. The place is packed with folk, who gladly have paid 50 quid instead of 10 to be here tonight. We are quite simply gagging for this, the first UK Queensrack gig in eons. The lights, the action, the majesty of Seattle's finest. Queensrack take to the stage amid applause normally reserved for royalty. Singer Jeff Tate smiles. He addresses the crowd with the level-headed call of a lawyer outlining a case. This may be insane, but we're recording tonight, he announces, and empire towers over us. Or at least, we expect it to. In truth, the sound is a letdown, and the situation isn't improved by the songs unsuitably as an opener. It's almost surreal watching Queensrack perform this one, rooted to their respective spots with zero lighting or pizzazz. What's happening? 
Anarchy X sees the lights flash into action and the thrill of Operation Minecrime buzzes through the venue. This obviously leads into Revolution Calling, also sonically wonderful yet visually flat. The key to enjoying this set soon becomes apparent. We're not going to see Take prancing around on ramps or Sister Mary crooning in front of video screens. This is not 1987 and the set partly echoes the more reflective nature of new slow burner Promised Land. The key is to concentrate on the strength of the musicianship and songs. Damage is the first new track and the first which Tate physically embellishes. Later we get the LP's title track and Disconnected, both with Tate playing sax plus the excellent bridge, things begin to gel. Silent Lucidity is an incredible watershed moment and the sound has improved by now. Tate comments that the crowd has relaxed, a percussive reworking of My Empty Room leads into Real World from the Last Action Hero soundtrack. And then we're finally allowed the chilling release of I Don't Believe in Love and Eyes of a Stranger. Even when Queensryche frustrate, they remain outstanding, a fascinating first step out of Hermithood. The last review this week is for Girls Against Boys live at the Steam in Brighton, Thursday, October 20th. Reviewed by Paul Rees, this gets electrocution out of 5, 5 out of 5. There are strange places, and then there's the Steam Inn. Girls Against Boys are cramped into the far corner of the room next to the bar. A dartboard hangs off the paint-peeled walls above singer-guitarist Scott McCloud's head. In front of his tiny black eyes, a strange assortment of people are throwing themselves into a sound that seems to trowel out your innards with every unsteady swerve. It's the perfect setting for Girls Against Boys and their peculiarly inspired gut of blues rock. It's got the same sense of dirty decadence and peep show sex. McLeod, with his nicotine bark and a face that's part lounge lizard geek and part feel cool, is its centre of attention. He swaggers into the slowly escalating menace of Tucked In and looks sly and cool and seedy in all the right places. He's a languid genius of a performer. And Girls Against Boys, unlike so much that's crawled out of the underground, offer far more than one dimension. Right at the heart of their blunt whirlpool of noise are deliciously warped tunes. Songs that peel off in layers to reveal the dark melody and the filthy eroticism at their core. Kill the Sex Player and Sexy Sam are jagged, swirling assaults where McLeod's vicious commons seep through the pores in uh, the fat chunks of disturbed rhythm that swoop out of Eli Janney and Johnny Temple's twin basses like sweat. I'm from France and Raindrop are their counterpoints. Toxic cocktail ballads croak through a cloud of cigarette smoke. But its former singles, I Don't Got A Place and Bulletproof Cupid, the best capture Girls Against Boys' mesmerising magic. The former's rasping urgency and the latter's black liquid groove wrap you in their neon lit world of sex, drugs and fucked up rock and roll. Right now, it's just about the best place to be. We now come to a piece in Kerrang! entitled Skin Graft. They're the hardest working rockers in Britain. Yep, Skinner back on the road this week. Paul Brannigan finds out what drives them on. Mike Gray. What do you hope this tour will achieve for Skin? This tour isn't about achieving anything other than us and our audiences enjoying ourselves. We're playing big shows and small shows and they all mean the same to us. Playing music is a primary reason why we exist. Always will be. All we want to see is people having a good time at skin shows. What are you looking forward to most about going back on the road? Everything. Waking up in a different town every day, travelling, the knowledge you gain just by mixing with other people, the whole trip is a learning experience. Tours teach you a lot about yourself and the band. Skin's so much fun. Jagged Edge, my last band was like a prison sentence. We were four individuals and just didn't get on together. Being with Skin is like watching a baby grow. Two years ago, we were conceived. Now we're starting to walk and by the end of this tour, we'll have grown a little more. 
We've just toured Europe with Bruce Dickinson, and every night we had to prove ourselves to people who didn't know who the fuck we were. It makes us stronger as a band, but playing at home is great because people know the words to all the songs. What essential items will you be taking on tour? My kickboxing pad, my rollerblades, a football, and obviously a Walkman and tapes. Soundgarden Super Unknown, The Beatles and Hendrix are essential listening. I don't listen to what other people expect. Otherwise, I wouldn't uh, listen to Mariah Carey, E17 or Stevie Wonder. Skinner is as much influenced by Metallica and Rage Against the Machine as Van Halen or Led Zeppelin. We don't see our music within the narrow boundaries others confine us to. Funniest road story. Well, on the last European tour, I got more pissed than I ever thought I could. I woke up in Cologne with my head shaved, so that was pretty bloody funny. We always have a laugh on the road playing football on docksides at 4 in the morning and hundreds of sailors watching from their boats is pretty bizarre, I can tell you. Neville MacDonald What do you hope this tour will achieve for Skin? We hope to build on our fan base. It's been growing since our first tour with Little Angels, but we've still got a hell of a lot of work to do. We just want people to come to Skin shows for a great night out. What are you looking forward to most about going back on the road? The whole experience of touring is a real buzz. I love playing live, Seeing the reaction of the kids is brilliant. People think we must get tired of playing the same songs every night, but we don't. We get fed up rehearsing, but gigs are always special. What essential items will you be taking on the road with you? Just tapes and books. I bring compilation tapes I've made. The others soon let you know if they think the music you're playing is shit. And I love horror books. I uh, must have some morbid seed with me. Funniest road story. God. Touring is such a blur, and it's always a great laugh with the boys. It's hard to think of one single incident, but Mike getting his head shaved was pretty amusing. Mike doesn't really drink that much, so when he really goes for it, you're sure of a few fun incidents. Andy Robbins. What do you hope this tour will achieve for Skin? I just hope it gives more people a chance to check us out. On the last tour, we started getting guys in Megadeth t-shirts coming up to us saying, I thought you'd be crap, but you were really good. Until people see Skin live, they won't fully understand what kind of band we are. What are you looking forward to most about going back on the road? Playing new songs. We've got four or five. They're so new I can't even remember the titles, but I know how to play them, honestly. The idea of a debauched rock and roll antics is a bit of a myth though. We like a good drink, but we've learned the hard way that hotel room excesses have to be paid for, not that we've stopped having a laugh. What essential items will you be taking on the road with you? Tapes and books. At the moment, I'm into Deep Purple and Bob Marley. The last book I read was Tess of the D'Urbervilles by Thomas Hardy. Not very rock and roll, I know, but a damn good read. Funniest road story. Sometimes things do get a bit spinal tap. Tonight, the truck carrying all our monitors got pulled over by the police on the M1 and it's only just got here. The doors open in an hour and we haven't even sound checked yet. This might turn out to be our funniest night so far at this rate. Dickie Fazar. What do you hope this tour will achieve for Skim? Hopefully the crowds will be bigger. We'll do our best to entertain them. What are you looking forward to most about going back on the road? It'll just be great playing Britain again, where people actually know who we are. Touring's great. We enjoy the rock and roll lifestyle. Some band members more than others, although I won't mention names. Whenever you have a bunch of males hanging out, laddish things crop up now and again. We like to have wild parties, but so do all young guys. We're entitled to have fun. What essential items will you be taking on the road with you? A guitar, a pack of cards and a toothbrush. I don't want to smell horrid every morning. I always bring a book, but for some reason I never get to read in it. And we like films which are easy to understand because the video on our bus isn't loud enough. When we watched Dangerous Liaisons, we didn't have a clue what was going on. Funniest road story. We were playing in Brighton and Colin, our occasional keyboard player, was supposed to be with us. He missed the sound check, but we thought he'd turn up for the gig. The show started and still there was no sign of Colin. 
We were doing the last chorus on our last song when Colin suddenly jumped on stage, plugged in, played four chords and then the show finished. Remember when Derek Smalls burst out of the cocoon in Spinal Tap? It was just like that. Really impressive. We now come to communication, which this week is only on one page. Bit strange, I'm not sure what's happened this week. They haven't got um, short and curlies, they've only got gagging for a shagging, letter of the week and three other letters. This week's issue of Kerrang! is actually a bit of a funny one. Um, I said at the start that Nirvana are on the cover, but they isn't really a cover star. They just review um, Unplugged in New York and talk a little bit about Nirvana. The, the two main pieces are actually about downset and skin uh, in the magazine. And there's a third piece which is about Nirvana and Pearl Jam doing something together, but I don't, well, I don't know if I'm going to read that. I already said that. But the rest of the magazine, the way it's been put together, it's things aren't in their usual places, if that makes sense. What I feel like with this week's Kerrang! is that they've sort of not had enough content to fill it, so they've chucked stuff around, put in some big adverts and stuff. I mean, you know, it's a weekly magazine. I have no doubt how hard that is to put out, especially a magazine that was big as Kerrang! at that time. So there's always going to be issues like this. Anyway, let's get on to communication. Letter of the week this week begins. Reading Kerrang! lately is suicide. Black metal, grunge, doom, death, gloom, despair. I know these are issues and are kind of relevant in a sad sort of way, but why dedicate virtually the whole issue to them every week? Luckily, the poison story in issue 516 did help to cheer me up a bit. I thought rock and roll was about partying, sex, drinking, having loads of fun and being individual. So why does Kerrang! concentrate on suicidal grunge bands, depressing alternative groups and so-called hate metalers who revel in reminding us how sick and psychotic the world is? Fuck them. How about a regular section in Kerrang! for glam and hard rock? There used to be one, but Dave Reynolds has apparently suffered an overdose or amnesia or something. Anyway, bands like Paradise Alley, James Gang, Skin Trade, Water Brats, Baby Strange etc are all part of the growing UK glam scene. If you want somewhere to stick features on these bands, how about squashing up those double page reviews that no one reads? And if you're desperate for someone to write them, you could employ me, Kate. Well, we can't let you have Dave Reynolds' job, he is still alive, you know, but here's a Kerrang cap for consolation, editor. Look, I know that Dave Reynolds has his head permanently stuck in the 80s, but his review of Sugar's Believe What You're Saying issue 516 really was the limit. If the alternative explosion that Reynolds hates so much had a single positive effect, it was the rediscovery of simplicity in music. The song in question is simple, beautiful and evocative. It brings forth emotions that I doubt Dave even possesses. Bob Mould is nothing if not genuine, as well as being a superb songwriter. I admit that it wouldn't have been my choice of single of release, but that shouldn't detract from its qualities as a brilliant piece of music. And as for the comment about Sugar not being on the edge, Reynolds is so far into the middle of the road that I doubt he knows where the edges are. Nick Cross, Brighton. After reading in Kerrang 516 that Soundgarden have scrapped their UK shows, I feel I have to express my anger. When the Liverpool show was cancelled, I was assured that the gig would be rescheduled. I can't believe how Soundgarden can then issue a statement saying, some bands thrive on the pressures of constant touring, but it's uninspiring for us. Bollocks. It's a good job that hardworking bands like Pantera can be bothered to constantly tour and provide us with fantastic live shows because, let's face it, without the support of fans like myself, Super Unknown would not have sold over 3 million copies. It's all very well Soundgarden saying they want to get back in the studio to start work on their next album, but if I wanted to follow bands who only release records and videos, I'd be into techno and rave and not rock music. 
Long live all the hard-working bands who don't cancel tours because the lead vocalist with the overinflated ego has caught a cold. The Tomato Man from Evesham. Gagging for a shagging. Luke Morley, you sexpot. Come and cool my fire that's burning just for you. Give me some loving, Luke, or I'll go out of my head. I want to count each freckle on your sexy body and have loads of little Morleys too. Forget Sad Back and John Bon Jovi. Luke Morley is the true meaning of the word sex god. Zoe, the future Mrs. Morley. I wish. I saw the Mount Street Preachers at last year's Bon Jovi bash where they went down like a lead balloon. I felt sorry for them. So I tried along to Norwich UEA on October the 7th to give them another try. After two tedious support bands, the Manics appeared and played a blistering set. For technical merit, I'd give them 10 out of 10, but for artistic impression, nil. Poor Richie James hopped about like a puppet, his gaunt face fixed in a vacant stare. Only James Dean Bradfield seemed alive. Although with his sailor suit and navy haircut, he could have been a robot. It was as if the band didn't want the audience to like them. The only moment of humanity came when James broke into a surprising rendition of Raindrops Keep Falling On My Head and was actually seen to smile for three seconds. At the end, I felt quite cheated. So come on lads, lighten up a bit. I suggest you all treat yourselves to a night out at a skin or television gig and watch what happens when a band puts itself out to entertain an audience. Maybe you'd rather people hated you than loved you. An ex-Manix fan, Suffolk. Ill communication. Poster power now, and as part of this week's Nirvana issue of Kerrang, um, the poster inside is the Nirvana Unplugged album sleeve. Uh, there are also posters of Terravision, Warrior Soul, Black Sabbath tribute LP artwork, and Green Day. Let's move on to singles. These singles this week are reviewed by Paul Brannigan. The first single reviewed this week is Blaggers ITA with their single Man Trap on Parlophone. This gets 3Ks. Not a great single by the Blaggers' own high standards. Man Trap is tuneful, agit pop overlaid with Matty's Bother Boy Croon. Worth buying for a cover of The Clash's dub skank classic on the B-side. Next single is About a Girl by Nirvana. Uh, this is uh, on Geffen promo and this gets 4Ks. A bleach era classic performed unplugged by the much missed Seattle trio. Cobain's rugged vocals tear bitter melodies from the soul of this Beatle-esque gem. A promo-only release, copies are certainly destined to end up in your local record emporium. Next single is Pink Floyd with their single High Hopes Keep Talking on EMI. This gets 1k. More mature, sophisticated and mind-numbingly turgid prog rock from the Wrinkle Scrope Rockers. Lend superb weight to the argument for euthanasia. Double War now with two singles. One is titled Mental EP on Earache, this gets 3Ks, and the other is Dub War, Scorn and Ultraviolence, entitled Over Now on Earache, and this gets 2Ks. The Welsh Quartet's official debut release on Earache, which handily coincides with a support slot on the Manic Street Preachers tour, flails about like a big angry thing with grinding, punishing guitar riffs, stomping all over vocalist Benji's vain, bulging rants. A remix by Haggis, a fellow Collision Metalist sensor, is even better. Music to eat people by. On the limited edition 7-inch EP, Dub War's feisty punk reggae grooves fall over themselves in a bid to reach the finishing line and forget all about including the tune. Label mates scorn, turn in the somnambulant ramblings of days past, while Ultraviolence could be sued under the Trade Descriptions Act for serving up his mediocre rap. Available through Atomic Magazine at 21 Asher Lane, Ruddington, Nottingham, NG11, 6HS. Collective Soul with their single Shine on Atlantic. This gets 2Ks. 
big US chart hits are always dodgy, especially when they're then subsequently reissued, like this one. Radio friendly to the max, this is eminently sensible grown-up rock from Georgia's biggest quintet, which cuts no ice whatsoever with a spunky young thing like myself. This is Filofax grunge for the yuppie rock generation, and Collective Soul will probably now be massive. Single of the week this week is entitled Descent EP by a band called Sandladder. This is on Kill City and this gets 4Ks. In a week blighted by the release of some of the world's worst ever singles, a young Kingston on Thames trio grabbed the coveted top slot. A low budget pop for Gazzy, they have the sus to realise that singles are meant to contain hints of a tune. The title track builds cunningly towards a growling monster chorus, while Safety Net is frazzled classic rock gone all spiky. Word of warning guys, don't ever write a song as poor as Jasmine again or we'll never forgive you. Next we have a piece entitled Downset or Death. Music Saved Our Lives reckons rap metal Mother's Downset who escaped LA's underworld of guns, drugs and gang war to cut a killer first album. Jason Arnott gets down with them. Just before I begin this interview, I just want to put a small caveat in and say that the N-word is used within this interview. Um, it's not a word that I would ever want to use, but it's a word that is used by Downset um, within, the, within the article, and I'm reading it out as they've written it. So just putting that caveat in here to say that that word will be used. Growing up can be hard, but for Downset it was truly a matter of life or death. They were born in the Los Angeles gangland. When it comes to dope and death, these guys have seen it all. Their frustration is vented on their crushing debut album. From the opening charge of anger to the anti-rape roar of ritual, it's the sound of men who've watched friends die. Music was Downset's only ticket out of the ghetto. Because I was into rock and punk music, black kids would tell me I was trying to be a white boy, says Downset uh, mouth rail Peza of his formative Los Angeles years. When I got into graffiti and hip hop, white friends would say, what are you trying to be a nigger for? I got racism from both sides. I did what I felt was right, and 85% of those friends are now either dead or locked up in jail. Music literally saved my life. If it wasn't for music and graffiti art, I'd be dead. My brother stayed in the life that I left, and he's got problems. It's hard to watch. We really do mean this shit, stresses Ray. It's our life. In LA, there's an incredible amount of violence and murder, and it pisses me off that the movie industry tries to glamorise it like it's something cool. I've grown up around hardcore LA gang violence, and it's not funny. No fucking way. Oropeza has very set ideas on America's failings. It's like this. In the US, there's a lot of bureaucratic corruption. A lot of laws are set up to keep the rich in power. When the people in power are more concerned with money than human life, then that's the beginning of the degradation. Our education system is on the edge of breaking down. Teachers aren't getting paid enough. They should be paid more than the cops. We have a lack of love itself, he summarizes. America's society is really cold. Racism is getting really bad again because the economy is dwindling. The family's falling apart, people are having kids early and they don't know how to raise them. And to me, things are still like that because we lack spirituality. People are too caught up in materialism, selfish nonsense. And the gang wars? Or a peasant draws an analogy. Let's say there's a family in Wales that breeds cows. They've done this one thing for four generations. The farm is all they have, all the system has given them. It's the same thing for a kid growing up in North Hollywood, San Fernando or South Central. They're born into families that have been economically deprived for generations. When you're 10 years old, you're saying, if I don't group up with these people, I'm going to be killed. They're going to take everything from me. So it's like, if you can't beat them, join them. So if you hook up with these guys, you can sell dope. And if you have to sell dope, you have to kill. And if you have to kill, you have to go to jail. 
It's a continual cycle of life, going to jail, making money, getting busted. It's been a family ritual ever since the Chicanos and the Mexicans had gangbangs in the early 20th century. Like, my grandfather did it, my father does it, so now I'm going to do it too. Luckily, I kind of got smart to other ways of dealing with my anxiety. It's a big circle to get out of. The kids are fucked up because the government's fucked up. The schools are fucked up because there's no money. There's no money because of the government. It's tough. Think about it. It's in the family. How do you break away? Oropesa is understandably cagey on the specifics of Downset's hands-on experience. There are people in this band who were involved in gangs and stuff, he admits, but that's not a focal point. We don't rally around that fact, we grew up around it. Our families were involved in it and some of the people in the band were in it. The good thing is that we survived and got out. Downset neither glamorise nor carry guns even in their hometown. I can't fuck around with a gun for a camera or a peza grimaces. Downset ain't with that shit like that. I know what uh, that fucking gun can do to end somebody else, although I admit I'd be tempted to carry a gun in LA. One night, me and a couple of friends were putting up downset posters and we got chased by some guy with a fucking rifle. After that night, I felt like carrying my fucking gun again. But I figure it this way. There's times when you have to go and do something and times when you don't have to be out there. Most of the time, I stay home or hang out with my friends in well-known areas where no one can fuck with us. I don't want to kill anyone, man. I believe in certain spiritual things which are much stronger than a gun. I don't want to be a part of that stupid gun shit. The singer has mixed feelings towards Ice-T and gangster rap in general. In the LA black community, people like Ice Cube and Chuck D are pushing people to have a little more self-esteem and deal with the problems in the neighborhood. So I'm on their side on that one. They go around speaking at black schools and colleges, but the racist and sexist things they say is the only thing that bums me out. I don't know if Ice-T glamorizes guns. When he wrote Cop Killer, he was not saying kill cops. He wrote a song about one of his homeboys about how his friend fucked up. Downset are not anti-cops, says bassist James Morris. Cops are human beings just like anyone else. Society's reacting to the cops and the cops are reacting to society. If the cops were all nice guys who patted you on the back, they'd get killed. So they're going to be assholes. They're going to instill a sense of fear to save their own back. The downset oppose the US death penalty. Tough question, Oropesa frowns. I've had family members killed and back then I wanted total revenge. But now, I think that killing someone for killing is hypocritical. A murder is barbaric in the first place, but two wrongs don't make a right. Downset got out of California for the first time earlier this year. We'll always remember what we've been through, Oropesa pledges. When I go back home, I don't go back to a nice neighborhood. I go back to my fucking ghetto. I live with my family, feeling what they feel every day. One of my dreams is that if we make a lot of money, I want to set up a food drive for the poor. Those are my goals for Downset. When we played Brixton, I was talking to four girls about sexual violence. They said they were going to start their own band and talk about those kinds of problems. If Downset is planting seeds like that, I'm going to be a fucking happy man. Downset's message, despite their hard heads and angry sounds, is undeniably one of peace. People need to learn from LA's problems, Oropesa concludes. If you see the same things happening where you live, try your hardest to stop it. Otherwise, the people you love will be the next victims. Basically, we're heavy metal, aren't we? We made a record, it's so heavy you couldn't get off the turntable. Albums now, and the first album reviewed this week is Unplugged in New York by Nirvana. Reviewed by Phil Alexander, this gets four Ks. Genius. Jerk. Everyone has an opinion on Kurt Cobain. Eulogised, criticised, analysed. Since his suicide six months ago, Cobain's life has almost become public domain. Consequently, it's easy to become desensitised about the man and his music. As such, Unplugged in New York is a timely reminder of the human soulful qualities that resonate throughout Cobain's songs and underpin Nirvana's success. 
recorded and filmed for MTV in front of a select audience at Sony Studios New York on November 18th, 1993, this semi-acoustic set is a far cry from the feedback and frenzy associated with Nirvana. Kerrang readers hoping to pogo moronically to Smells Like Teen Spirit for the nth time will leave this particular party disappointed. Those willing to listen, however, will find that Unplugged lays bare the very heart and soul behind one of the most influential outfits of the last 25 years. It's easy to overload the 14 tracks on offer with sentimentality and hindsight. That is to miss the point. This may be Kurt Cobain's final bow, but it's also a freeze frame of Nirvana as a band at the height of their powers. About a Girl kicks off the whole caboodle like a hit single in waiting. Come As You Are follows in driving form. The first of six covers surfaces next in the shape of the Vaseline's Jesus Don't Want Me For A Sunbeam, featuring Chris Novoselic on accordion. With hindsight, the lyrics are all too bittersweet. A shimmering version of David Bowie's The Man Who Sold The World takes on an almost sinister edge. I must have died alone a long, long time ago. Who knows? Not me. I never lost control, Kroon's Kurt. It's chilling. Ironic. Kurt's piercing solo rendition of Penny Royalty is an equally soul-choking emotional high. His delivery drips with vitriol. Dumb as a hint of further cynicism before Polly restores the driving mood, along with the screamless lunge of On A Plane. Something in the way mounts melodically before Nirvana invite Meat Puppet mainstays Kurt and Chris Kirkwood on stage to revamp Free Puppet Cuts. Kurt and his namesake share vocals on Plateau, Oh Me and The Searing Lake of Fire. A halfway house between the likes of R.E.M., Soul Asylum and Neil Young, these covers are undoubted highlights, mining a rich country rock vein. All Apologies is a serene final homegrown Nirvana track prior to the closing cover of blues legend Lead Belly's Where Did You Sleep Last Night. It's a slow marching crescendo which reveals Nirvana's ability to match tension with melody. As such, it is a fine indication of the inherent power possessed by the Seattle superstars. Away from the screaming, the teen spirit, the insanity and the overwrought success, this whole set leaves you pondering the possibilities that may have lain ahead had Kurt found himself able to cope with the business machine that surrounded him. A stumbling, numbing thought. Next up we have a review for Aerosmith Big Ones and Aerosmith Big Ones You Can Look At. Both of these, the CD and the video, get 3Ks. Aerosmith's parting CD and video shot for Geffen before they return to Columbia next year. Both big ones are as obvious as their titles. A couple of obligatory unreleased tracks aside, these are the singles and promos with which the personally and creatively cleaned up Aerosmith rebuilt their career, and nothing else. None of the often superior album tracks, no reference to the original lineup's comeback record with the commercial flop Done With Mirrors. Like much of Aerosmith's recent multi-platinum past, Big Ones puts the hard safe sell above else. On the plus side, Rank Doll and Dude Looks Like a Lady from Permanent Vacation are great singles, while Jamie's Got a Gun, The Other Side and What It Takes emphasise what a fine record pump was. On the downside however, the wafer thin Angel has dated badly. The Get A Grip selections only reflect how quickly the album has paled into unconvincing formula and the two new songs Walk On Water and Blind Man do nothing to dispel the notion that Aerosmith have been operating on cruise control for too long. The video compilation is the more entertaining. From Dude, through Loving In The Elevator and up to the excellent Jamie's Got A Gun, director Marty Kona wisely trained his attention on the supremely visual Steven Tyler and Joe Perry who looks like he's about to ask the camera to assume the missionary position at any given moment. At the expense of the other three, come get a grip as the songs become weaker. 
The videos uh, became more expensive and Alicia Silverstone's cleavage assumed a life of its own. Aerosmith defined the whole style of American rock and roll throughout the 70s. Their colourful and legendary history demands that they do more in the 90s than better Bon Jovi and lag behind the Black Crows. Next album reviewed is entitled The Space Age Playboys by Warrior Soul. This album is reviewed by Chris Watts and this gets 5Ks. They've got a youngish rock and roll president now who plays sax and shags and stuff. So Corey Clark has kind of given up on politics. The times have changed and it's patently obvious that Warrior Soul will never get elected to the White House. So Corey Clark has dived into a bucket of amphetamines like Al Pacino in Scarface and surfaced for his fifth LP packing a bottle of tequila, a TV remote control and a hard-on. After the relatively meaningless chill pill record, the flamboyant babble here could not be clearer. I'm a message, I'm a bastard, I'm a bitch with a ticket to love, let's get high, let's get wasted from let's get wasted. Warrior Soul's reinvented manifesto is simple, boredom kills. Consequently, the Space Age Playboys is irresponsible, childish and such a great screech of blood-spitting hedonism that every contemporary American band sounds like an arsehole in comparison. The grace and confusion of salutations from the Ghetto Nation has been replaced by frill pill indulgence and three minute cluster bombs of pure sonic hell. Rocket Engine, Television and Rotten Soul roar and kick like a pub brawl, uncool, bullish and violent. Star Ride would have been outstanding on any other artist's album. Alongside I Wanna Get High and The Image, it is a merely another perfect link in the chain. The Space Age Playboys is the record everyone believed Warrior Soul could never make. This means that Warrior Soul now belong up there with the few who can still blow your fucking head off. Next album reviewed is Downset by Downset. This is reviewed by Jason Unop and gets 4Ks. Nails hard they may be, but LA's Downset ain't about to tell you about their latest consignment of Uzis. The bitch they shagged last night or what mischievous motherfuckers they are. Downset's debut album is the sound of five people struggling to make positive sense of the futile sleigh ground they grew up in. The frustration of Ray Oropesa's voice is overwhelming. Unlike Rage Against the Machine, the lyrics are more specific. Oropesa cuts not only to the bone, but through it. Now Rage remain a fine band, and Downset have admittedly not produced anything with the commercial magnitude of killing in the name, but Downset are undeniably more convincing, and may even suffer for it. We'll see whether reality is what the people want or not. The music is low slung, helmet heavy slabs, Downset don't try too hard and there's no guitar doodling. They just keep the rumbling power chords tied down in the most basic of mixes. The talent for a slow build up leading to an oral explosion is where the biggest rage comparisons will spring from. The best slogan has to be anger, hostility towards the opposition. The year's most sincerely rocking addition to the rapper's Metallicus genre. The last album reviewed this week is Widowmaker with their album Stand By For Pain. This is reviewed by Razel and this gets 3Ks. I was gonna say this, I was gonna say that, but shit, let's dissect the crap and nail the bottom line here. This is a mighty chest thumping and vengeful ad lib liberally with skull crunching metaphors record. And it was truly, honestly interesting to examine. But, yeah, that big bastard but, I didn't actually enjoy it. Ugh. D Schneider. Mr. Integrity, Mr. Fuck You, the blonde behemoth with the big mouth and personality used to front Max Factor Mutie's twisted sister. For the last few years, he's blown his savings on hauling his new mob, Widowmaker, around on the road. The first Widowmaker LP took a classic blues-based rock stance. Stand By For Pain pretty much runs the rock gamut, 
from the blues to elements of grunge and industrial. Yet whether these acknowledgements are laudatory or lavatory, I wouldn't like to say. The blatantly obvious is D is pissed off big time. And if this business really is that powerful that it could sap the old Snyder sense of humour, then we are in trouble. The band are tight, no, maybe even tighter than fuck, and vocally D has introduced a whole new range of textures from sandpaper to sandblast. The gigs and the interviews will be awesome. If you favour intensity and power over warmth and groove, then standby for pain could just be your acid brain bath. Now, in a perfect world, that Sebastian Bach geezer would have reviewed this. Chart Attack now and the top 40 albums. The number one album this week is The Best of Bon Jovi by Bon Jovi. <laughs> the top 20 singles, number one is Planet Caravan by Pantera and number one in the indie LPs is Cruise Yourself, Girls Against Boys. The reader's chart this week comes from Chris from Bournemouth. His chart begins number one, Achilles Last Stand, Led Zeppelin, two, Jesus Christ Post, Soundgarden, three, Aura of Sacrifice, Slayer, Four, Dyer's Eve Metallica. Five, Crown of Thorns, Mother Love Bone. Six, Holy Wars, Megadeth. Seven, Rise Pantera. Eight, Monopoly of Sorrow, Suicidal Tendencies. Nine, Rest in Pain, Sepultura. And ten, Right Turn, Alice Mudgarden from Alice in Chains, Sap EP. Star Tracks this week is Evan Seinfeld from Biohazard. His top five are Incomplete, Bad Religion. Murder, She Wrote, Snoop Doggy Dog. Band in DC, Bad Brains. I Hate God Demo. And Greatest Hits by Leonard Skinnerd. Next week in Kerrang! on sale November 2nd. Warg! It's the winter of discontent. Machine Head, Slayer, Megadeth. The heaviest bands on the planet in one issue. Plus, Nirvana, massive poster pullout. Plus, Skin, The Black Crows, Aerosmith, Bad Religion, Green Day, Sepultura, Megadeth, and Led Zeppelin Men Fly Again, Page and Plant Speak. The answers to the cover quiz are as follows. Question 1 was which rock legends climbed a stairway to heaven? The answer obviously is Led Zeppelin. 2. Who said heaven can wait on his meaty debut LP? The answer there is Meatloaf. 3. Which Brit metal god said the same thing on their 1986 LP? Iron Maiden. 4. Which band reckoned heaven's on fire on their 84 day, uh, album? Kiss. And 5. Who visited both heaven and hell with their 1980 LP? The answer there is Black Sabbath. Thank you, as always, for listening. We will be back next Wednesday as usual. I hope you're all doing well and talk to you all soon. Bye for now.